Pay attention, son. This is for your own good. This is Gateway City Sports. You got to get it done. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Holy cow! Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. Gee, that sounds kind of interesting. Hello, folks. Come on up. It's a great day here. Heat wave is finally broken. Nice breeze going. Hey, but the world of sports is still heating up. So bring your favorite toozy, snag a cold one out of the cooler, and we're going to talk some sports. Just sit around and have some fun. Come on up. Gentlemen, start your engines. Here's the snap. Romo looking, dumps it off right side. Intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! The rumors are true. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Crying? There's no crying in baseball. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? British young Cinderella is coming out of nowhere. He's got about 350 yards. That he's going to get about 500. He's got a beautiful dash Dash! Oh, he got all of that one. touch on that, or we will touch on that. Uh, we'll hit some golf, some NASCAR, even a little soccer news for you today. Uh, we'll hit the WNBA. we got a lot of things to go over, and I'm going to talk a little, bit more, a little bit more about Title IX as well. I know we talked some last week. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it this week. Um, talking sports on the bleachers is a proud part of Gateway City Sports, and that Gateway City Sports 
you're going to find articles and stories about sports that affect the St. Louis metro and bi-state area as well. Now check out the other podcasts we've got. For you good old-fashioned Cub Cardinal rivalry fans, you can check out Ron Nuttall and his Cub friends Pete Geddes and Elliot Dewey on the Team of Rivals sportscast. He's, uh, he's on hiatus right now, but the A-Train Arlington Lane is the host of In the Cards, an NFL show, and of course the ever-popular Derek King Sports Show. So let's start right off with some WNBA news, why don't we? Now, Sunday was the uh, WNBA's uh, All-Star Game, and uh, in a news conference prior to the game, uh, the commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, held a press conference to announce that uh, the league will expand to a 40-game schedule in 2023. Now, this is coming on the heels of this year when they expanded to 36 games. Uh, Engelbert said, we're seeing a tremendous interest in the game, evidenced by viewership, and everything from draft on to today. She went on to say that our response is to also, or to that also, is to continue to try to grow. We want to grow our footprint. Beginning next season, we're going to play 40 games. Well, now the current CBA uh, with the players, between the players in the league, does allow for up to 44, up to a 44-game season. Now, Engelbert said on the 40 games that she'd love to consistently do that every year and also stated she'd like to go to 44 games at some point but uh, they would have to have a good footprint to do that uh, to uh, work around things like the Olympics and other sporting events that uh, come in and take time. Uh, the commissioner also talked about expansion. Now she did alter a statement that she made earlier with the athletic when she hinted that expansion by two teams in 2024. Uh, Sunday, she said that might not now be until 2025. Now, she cited data analysis on things like demographics, arenas, NCAA fandom, merchandising, and viewership. Uh, there's also a new TV deal in the works, and the current deal with ESPN expires in 2025. Eh, might be a little correlation there. Uh, Engelbert said negotiating the next one is her top business priority. Uh, she stated that we need to find the right package more broadly for the WNBA. She also said we need to make it easier for our fans to watch our games to know where our games are. Uh, right now, games are over a variety of different networks for the WNBA. Uh, ESPN, uh, ABC, CBS Sports Network, uh, NBA TV, Twitter, Facebook, Amazon Prime, and League Pass. So the viewing landscape is very confusing. So, you know, uh, hopefully she can get that down to just a couple of networks, get a pretty good deal, and they can finally get the recognition that they deserve. Now, All-Star Saturday was supposed to be held at the Wind Trust Arena, but that had already been booked, so the league used the McCormick Place Convention Center, which I guess is right across the street, and they brought in the Chicago Sky's floor, erected temporary bleachers, but... Attendance was only limited to was limited to only family members, media, and youth players from the Nike Nationals event. Um, Engelbert said that COVID and security concerns played the decision in as well uh, as cobbling. Well, uh, she said cobbling everything together that's going on, uh, coming off two tough COVID years and not having wind trust available yesterday, it just wasn't possible to have a fan event. We didn't have an arena to have it here in the city of Chicago, 
but understand the fans are frustrated not attending that. But again, last year we didn't have it. The year before we didn't have an All-Star game. So we're trying to build what an All-Star weekend will look like. Uh, there was also supposed to be supposed to be a Chance the Rapper concert, uh, which uh, ended up being closed to the public. Uh, Engelbert said on that that uh, uh, they would have loved to have had the event open to the public for the fans, but things like uh, Mandalay Bay events and what have happened uh, more recently in Chicago and Buffalo, uh, that there is a lot. This is a quote now from her. There is a lot of concern about outdoor events right now. Unfortunately, in our country, so we are just trying to do the best we could. She indicated they would rather have had an event with live music and basketball, food, and culture, uh, as opposed to what they ended up having on Sunday. Uh, she did indicate that this had been planned for quite some time, but that security concerns led to the majority of events not being open to the public. She does hope they can have a full experience next year. Now, this is where I think the WNBA does suffer from an identity crisis, a lot, like a lot of, actually, women's sports, uh, if you want to be quite honest. Uh, I mean, if the NBA or the NHL is planning an event and trying to involve the fans in, like, an all-star weekend or something of that nature, you can bet friendly fan-friendly venues would be made available at all costs. Um, look at the recent MLB all-star game that was just played in Los Angeles. You can almost bet that anything MLB wanted, the city of Los Angeles made sure it happened. Now, security concerns are paramount in sports, and I do understand those concerns. But if, as the commissioner says, they had been planning this for quite some time, then why was Wintrust not available? Or if they knew it was not going to be available, why were not other city considerations made? In other words, moving to a different city. Um, I, I don't understand that. Uh, it possibly could be that uh, uh, the decision to rent out Wintrust, if you will, came at, uh, at a later time, or maybe they decided... Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, the, the details are sketchy, let's just put it that way. So this could be some mode of a self-inflicted wound by the WNBA and not planning that far ahead or having contingency um, but you know it does lead to the idea or the, the thought that you know the women's sports like the WNBA the LPGA um, just don't get the uh, respect and recognition that they should and uh, I don't think that is anything new to people or uh, if anybody's been paying attention um, you know, like I mentioned last week, if you look at contracts uh, for NBA players versus WNBA NBA players, the difference is uh, it's just mind blowing. Uh, really, it is. Uh, so, you know, was this a city of Chicago snub? Uh, was this lack of planning by the WNBA? I don't know. Uh, but if the city had anything to do with the um, way this went off and the restrictions put on it, then the city of Chicago owes the WNBA a huge apology. Now, as for the game itself, uh, Team Wilson, led by Aja Wilson, defeated Team Stewart, led by Brianna Stewart, 134-112. to 
Now, Casey Plum led the way for Team Wilson with 30 points, and six others were in double figures. Jean-Claude Jones led Team Stewart with 29 points and 13 rebounds for a double-double. In the golfing world, Tony Fennell picked up his third tour victory Sunday at the 3M Open at the TPC Twin Cities in Blaine, Minnesota. Now, Scott Piercy had a five-stroke lead going into the final round, but he had four bogeys and a triple bogey on the uh, final uh, nine uh, to allow the steady play of Fennell, who not only catch him, but pass him, and not just passing, but passing by four strokes. Uh, Fenno ended up 17 under for the tournament. Uh, Percy was also passed by Sun J M and Emilio Grillo, uh, who finished three strokes off the leader at 14 under. Percy ended up in a three-way tie with James Hahn and Tim Hodge at 13 under. Now for Fenno, it was his first win since last season at the Northern Trust. He now has 29 top five finishes since 2019, or 17, excuse me. Uh, the next tour stop is the Rocket Mortgage Classic at the Detroit Golf North Course in Detroit, Michigan. On the LPGA side of things, uh, Baines, France was the spot for the Amundi Evian Championship, and that was won by Brooke M. Henderson as she fired a 17 under par for the event and managed to hold off a stiff field of competitors. Uh, Sophia Schubert was second, just one stroke behind Henderson. Five other golfers were just two strokes back, and another pack of seven golfers were four strokes off the pace. Next up for the women, the Trust Golf Women's Scottish Open in Ayrshire, Scotland. I hope I pronounced that city right. If I didn't, I apologize to those in that city. <laughs> uh, in soccer news... The 2022 Women's Cup field has been set and finalized schedule. Uh, the schedule finalized. It takes place starting August 14th, and the event will feature teams from five different countries and three different continents. It will take place in Louisville, Kentucky, and this year's teams are from the United States, uh, from the uh, WSW or NWSL, uh, Racing Louisville, and OL Rain. From Japan, Tokyo Verde Beliza. From Italy, AC Milan. From England, Tottenham Hotspur. And from Mexico, Club America. There will be three rounds from August 14th to the 20th. The schedule is August 14th, AC Milan versus Tokyo Verde. And Tottenham versus Club America. On the 17th, the winner of the Milan-Tokyo match will face Racing Louisville, and the winner of the Tottenham Club America match will face O.L. Reign. The losers of the first round matchups will play for fifth place. August 20th, August 20th excuse me, will be the finals and the third place game. In NASCAR at the Pocono Raceway in Long Pond, Pennsylvania, the M&M's Fan Appreciation 400, Joe Gibbs Racing took a big hit. Uh, as it originally, Denny Hamlin won the event with teammate Kyle Busch coming in second, both Joe Gibbs cars. However, the post-race inspections revealed improprieties with both cars, and both Gibbs cars were disqualified, and the race was awarded to third-place finisher Chase Elliott. Now, this is the first time since uh, disqualifying of, of uh, winners has 
been uh, allowed since 2019. Uh, so Hamlin and Bush get no points for the race, and the official top five finishers are Chase Elliott, number one, Tyler Reddick, two, Daniel Suarez was third, Christopher Barrel fourth, and Kyle Larson came in fifth. You know, I'm thinking being a NASCAR owner has got to be a high-stress situation. I mean, with all the cars and the parts and the drivers and the and the rules and the regulations and everything of that nature. You know, maybe they should talk to Fifth Street Motors. You know, for us, buying a car is stressful, but it really doesn't have to be. At Fifth Street Motors, located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, they'll help you find the vehicle you need no matter what the brand. Fifth Street Motors believes in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that will fit your budget. So give Brandon or, a call, or Don a call today at 573-259-1306. And tell them Don Glenn from Gateway City Sports and Talking Sports on the Bleachers sent you. Okay. I said I wanted to talk a little bit about Title IX again, and uh, I, you know, we kind of went over the history of it last week, and and what it has meant to college sports, and uh, uh, I want to go a little bit more in detail as to what it actually means. I mean, um, you know, we said it was a equal opportunity uh, sporting uh, uh, sports for female athletes as, as opposed to their male counterparts, uh, but there's. Uh, and a little bit more to it than that, and it does, and it has been expanded over the years since '72 to include certain things. Uh, uh, so, while it's commonly referred to in terms of student athlete, it covers many areas such as counseling and basic services, um, dorms, things of that nature. Uh, it also protects anyone who interacts with the school, uh, like a parent, a guardian, employees, or applicants. Now, it does re also require the schools make known the process and procedures that allow students to file complaints of sexual discrimination. Every school is required to have a Title IX coordinator who is available at all times. Now there are three parts to Title IX. First, there's the Equitable Sports Opportunities Clause. Now this does not require identical sports be offered, but that there is an equal opportunity for women to participate. So you don't have to have a women's football team. Um, or a men's volleyball team uh, you know, of, uh, to, to counteract what is on the women's side. It just means that you have to have 10 programs uh, for men, or if you have 10 programs for men, that you should have 10 programs for the women, or at least as close as you can get, depending on the school's facilities and, and so forth. Second is that both male and female student-athletes must receive athletic scholarship dollars proportionate to participation. Obviously, different sports have different sizes of teams. Uh, you know, football has large teams. Basketball usually not that large, and then uh, maybe golf teams are smaller. So uh, you would have the dollar amounts proportionate to what is the participation in that sport. So if different sports are going to be funded at different levels, you know, some people do think that it meant equal amount of money needs to be spent on. Uh, sporting the, the, all the sports. No, it just means that equal is spent on the women as per the men, but that the individual sports themselves are scholarships and dollars, scholarship dollars and such of that nature are participation uh, driven or participation proportionate as they put it. And now third is that the male and female student athletes must receive equal treatment regarding equipment, scheduling of games, practice time and facilities, including locker rooms and training facilities. 
as well as access to tutoring and other benefits. Uh, you know, this is just saying that, hey, you, you, you can't have the women play in this gym, but then they have to leave and go to another gym to shower, or they have to go back to their dorm and shower. Uh, it doesn't mean that the training, the trainer's room is the broom closet. Uh, it, it just basically means if you're going to have women's sports, they have to have the same basic facilities that you have for the men's sports. End of story, period, no ifs, ands, or buts. And to me, this is the biggest item. I mean, even the years, the few years following Title IX, women's facilities in many universities, as I said last week, were just afterthoughts. Uh, I know here at the University of Illinois, uh, the men were playing in the in the assembly hall since 63, I think it was, or the early 60s. And the women's team, when they finally started it, it was playing in tiny little huff gym. Uh, where, I mean, it's it's a it's a small it's a small gymnasium, folks. It's probably about the size of a big high school if you want to get on down to it. Um, you know, and, and things of that nature. The softball field was you know, uh, somewhat of a joke. Uh, you know, so basically, what it's saying, what I think is is the biggest thing for Title IX is that the facilities have to be brought into the forefront. You have to have good facilities, or as good of facilities as you do for the women, as you do for the men. Um, I know at the University, again, going back to the University of Illinois, which is what I know since I live near Champaign, um, just over in the recent years, and I can't remember exact year it was built, uh, but the women's softball complex built, and it is nice. Uh, before they were playing at, uh, I think, on uh, uh, public fields uh, somewhere, uh, over by the, the junior high, I think, or excuse me, junior college, uh, I think. Um, and just things like that. So uh, I think that's probably, if I have to say that's one, the one thing that is the biggest uh, part of Title IX is that it has up, made sure that everybody has the proper facilities to play and compete. Um, now, one thing that does get confused is people think that it's a dollar-for-dollar dollar funding. As I you know, tried to say before, it's, it's not really dollar-for-dollar. Dollar. It is to a certain extent that you spend the same amount, but... It's not doesn't mean that you're going to spend the same amount for football, men's football, as you would women's basketball. Uh, you're not going to do that. And you wouldn't even actually spend the same amount for men's basketball as for women's basketball because scheduling is different um, and things of that nature. I think the, some of you, like the ball might be a little smaller for women's basketball. So there's different things that you have to, you know, it's going to be spending proportionate, as they say. Now, the Javits Amendment, which was passed in 1974, states that legitimate and justifiable discrepancies for non-gender related activities be taken into account. An example would be in equipment. Men's football requires more protective equipment than say women's golf. Uh, so spending would be equally uh, proportionate but not necessarily the same. Um, you know, you would spend the amount, same amount actually on a per player or, or per piece of equipment basis but less equipment less dollars. It's about as simple as it can be made, I guess. Uh, now, there have been, like I said, there's been changes over the years, and uh, Title IX now has uh, been uh, altered, I guess you want to say that, to include LGBTQ plus uh, protections to deal with additional challenges, bullying, harassment, things that go on of that nature. That, that shouldn't. I mean, we all know that. 
um, and it gives students access to things like counseling and, and uh, uh, other facilities. Now, the one thing that's been a sore spot over the years is the Predeponderance of Evidence Clause. Now, this clause basically states that schools use a preponderance of evidence as the standard in sexual harassment cases, meaning that if it is determined there is an adequate evidence, and that determination is made by the individual school, not by any type of standard, uh, then it is more than likely than not the respondent committed the act. And that this may not be the case, and uh, it was this type of evidence processing that actually led to the Duke lacrosse scandal in 2006, where three members of the men's lacrosse team were charged with rape despite hard evidence to the contrary. In 2020, uh, Secretary of then Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, included protections for students accused of sexual harassment or assault to make sure everyone's rights are protected under the law. Now, this is mostly to deal with false accusations such as in the Duke uh, lacrosse scandal uh, and of evidence uh, that, you know, was kind of minimal investigation and aggressive prosecutions. It was an attempt to kind of end that and make sure that everybody was treated fairly. Because uh, you know, it could be possible if you have an accuser that has a grudge against a certain person and that she knows that they know that that person plays sports and so they dream up something that they can eh, kind of halfway prove and just to get that other person in trouble when there may not be anything going on. So I think anything like that, uh, you know, if you, if you look at it, uh, preponderance of evidence is used in the justice system, uh, mostly in grand jury cases, just to get to get an indictment so that they can actually uh, do a full investigation and bring a case to trial. It is never used as the determination of guilt or innocence. All a preponderance of evidence in a grand jury case says is that we feel there is enough evidence to take this to trial. And then it goes to trial, and then it's, then it's decided there. Um, so, you know, that there is that is the one drawback, I think, that a lot of people point to. Uh, some places, like the University of North Carolina, has uh, adopted a new Title IX policy that is in compliance with federal law because it remain, maintains preponderance of evidence um, be standard in all instances of alleged discrimination and harassment, but it did create a judicial-like process that gives the accused live hearing with panel members and a chance to cross-examine accusers. And it was deemed more fair than the previous rule, which was heavily weighted toward victims. And critics of the old rule said it was aimed at finding students guilty and not seeking the truth. I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, now, the Title IX was not meant to be a rule of or standard for disciplinary action. It was meant to be a rule for equal participation. And while it has undergone changes and probably needs a little more clarification in some areas, let me be clear on this. It is a definite improvement over pre-Title IX environment, wherein the acts of sexual harassment or sexual discrimination were swept, swept under the rug as college kids being college kids or the good old fashion line of boys will be boys. So, you know, all in all, Title IX was and is a major advancement for women and not just female student-athletes. It has been referred to in arguing equal rights cases for women, and it serves as a reminder that we must always address inequality even in sports, and that we must protect the rights for those for a fair and equal treatment. And as I said last week, 
while it has done a lot for the college female athlete, we still have yet to see it transfer that to the world of professional sports. Well, now, speaking of protection, we all need protection. I do, you do, and that's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer a full gamut of protection, home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance. They offer investments and much more. They offer you a customized approach that is unique to you and your situation to make sure you and your assets are properly protected. They also have great rates and savings. So give Sean and his team a call today, 636-764-2694. Now they can help you with a quote right over the phone, and I mean over the phone. Don't even have to go in the office. You can even call if you just want to talk sports, because, yeah, you know, they do that too. No time to call? Well, we all have busy lives. So you can email Sean, Sean Wiley at Allstate.com, and find out your coverage options. Remember always, you're in good hands with Allstate. Okay, let's finish up with some baseball news. If you're even a casual baseball fan, you're aware that all the talk right now centers around Juan Soto with the trade deadline coming up. And will he be dealt, or where will he be dealt, even if he is? Just before the All-Star game, he rejected a 15-year deal worth $440 million. No, I didn't stutter. $440 million, 15 years. That's a ton. That's almost about 20, what, 28 million and change a year or something like that. Um, but many teams have been mentioned in the sweepstakes, as they call it, for uh, Soto's uh, services. Uh, the Yankees, Dodgers, Mets, Padres, uh, even the Marlins, Guardian, or excuse me, Mariners, Guardians, and Rays have been uh, mentioned, and of course the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, earlier reports say that Washington would be looking for between two to four top prospects, in which most teams would be able to handle that. Um, but things have been kind of changing, and it went from two to four top prospects to. Uh, two or three top prospects and two MLB-ready players. And now, according to the L.A. Times, it is said the Nationals want the, the top six prospects of whoever wants, uh, wants of those services. Now, that has teams like the Yankees and Mets not just pumping the brakes, but slamming on and coming to a complete dead stop. Um, it's got other teams wondering just what in the heck is going on. Uh, Joel Sherman does list the Cardinals as having the most pieces that would fit, uh, but that was before the recent news of, the, of that the uh, Washington's GM now wants the top six prospects. Um, now, this source that the LA Times uh, cites uh, wished to remain anonymous. Uh, all they would say about it is that it was a uh, team official or a league official. Um, I'm not quite sure which one it was. Um, so I really can't speak as to the validity of this claim. But it does lead to the question that if they are asking that price, are they really wanting to deal Soto? Or are they just trying to find out who will pay what so they can deal him at the end of the season? I mean, he's under contract for this year and the next two years. So they don't have to trade him, right? As I mentioned just uh, last week, they don't have to trade him right away. Um, 
but are they doing this just so they can get an idea so that in the off season they can put together a deal and get what they really want um because teams that are in contention like the cardinals uh if you're going to talk about giving up top six prospects what you're talking about is giving up uh in the uh cardinal thing of uh scheme of things you're talking about uh Walk, uh, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, um, Ivan Herrera, Matthew Libertor, um, uh, and uh, I can't make Gasifo. Uh, you're talking a, a, a pretty good haul. Uh, you're talking about basically taking any kind of replacements we've got for somebody that goes down out of out of the the realm of possibility. Uh, you're, you're talking. Uh, taking a number of players, some of them are actually double-A players who are going to be taking the place of triple-A players uh, down the road. So it's, uh, or as they move up. And um, so I don't know. I, I just don't know what it's going to, it, and I think also if you look at uh, uh, what else they've got, Josh Bell is a free agent. Um, and Pat Corbin is a $70 million contract that is, uh, I, in my mind, wasted money. Um, you know, so the only place they've got to and their their farm system has been decimated in the trades they've made over the years. Even though um, they were able to trade Trey Turner and Max Scherzer and get a couple of good prospects, they still don't have much uh, in their minor league system. Uh, I think it's ranked 26th uh, by Baseball America. Uh, so they really have no future. Uh, to look forward to, and with the current roster construction, uh, they don't have anybody, or they don't really have a chance, or anybody that that's stout enough, I should say, to surround Soto with to have any kind of a chance at postseason uh, before Soto uh, would be a free agent. So we'll have to keep an eye on this space, and um, you know, as and as I mentioned, it, it, it's going to be. A deal where you're just—I don't know if they're wanting to deal. I don't know if anybody's going to deal with that kind of price. Uh, I know I wouldn't. Uh, so we'll see. And you know the Cardinals are considered suitors, as I said, and best equipped to make the deal happen. And it would be fun to see Soto's bat in the lineup. I have to give you that one. Uh, but we're talking about giving up some of the best young players we've had come along through the system in a long time. Jordan Walker has been uh, considered as one of the best, if not if not the best, uh, power prospect in the minor leagues. Um, Mason Wynn is a two-way player, much like a Shohei Hotani. He's a shortstop, plus he throws a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Uh, you know, Ivan Herrera is, is thought to be the catcher of the future. Um you know, and you're talking about giving up some of the. You're giving up all of these guys for one player, um, you know, and, and that may not. It may not only be just the top six. You know, maybe to say, okay, we'll give you uh, the top three, and then uh, we'll t- we'll give you a two MLB ready. Well, those two MLB play- ready players could be Brendan Donovan, Juan Yepes, Donovan Carlson, Carlson Yepes. I mean. At what point do you say, wait a minute, we're giving up too much uh, just for one guy? You know, we're giving up 
so many years of control on all these players for one guy that we're going to have for basically two and a half years, and then he's likely going to be gone. Because there, I can tell you this, he's if he's turned down 15 for 440, and the Cardinals are not known for long-term contracts or big high-dollar contracts. If he turned down that, and you wait two years or three years out, if you wait till be 26, uh, 2026, will he be a free agent? What's he going to command? Ten years, fifty million dollars? You know, or did he just not want to play with Washington because he knows there's no chance of winning? So maybe he does take a smaller deal. Maybe he does take a an eight-year deal at. He's only 23. And maybe he takes an eight-year deal at. Um, I don't know. Two hundred million dollars, let's say, two hundred four, you know, two hundred million dollars. Okay, that's still right around what he's be, what he would get now, but it's a less a lesser amount. Or he's making seventeen million right now uh, on his arbitrary arbitration contract, so maybe he's going to because he would be arbitration eligible for two years. So maybe he stays around that for a couple of years, and you can extend him out and say, okay, well. Uh, if you'll do $25 million a year, we'll go five years past your arbitration and then uh, we'll up the contract because five years past his arbitration would also be about the time that you no longer have Goldschmidt, you no longer have Arenado. So you could have the extra money that you could pay him to keep him there. Uh, could he make a deal like that? That's possible. Uh, do I see uh, John Mosellock and the Cardinal front office doing it? No. I'll be quite frank with you. No. I don't see them making that kind of deal. I don't even actually see them making the trade. Um, and uh, but we'll find out. You know, we'll find out. You know, to, to me, I think what if you go after Soto, what you're doing is ignoring the actual problem we have, and that's pitching. We don't have a good starting rotation right now. Our rotation consists of Adam Wainwright and Miles Michaelis. Dakota Hudson is inconsistent. Steven Matz is now out for the year. Jack Flaherty, who knows when he'll be back and how good he'll be if he comes back. That leaves you with a hodgepodge of kids that you bringing up and sending back down and bring, you know the shuttle the, the old uh, as they used to call it the shuttle to Memphis uh, routine. You know, you're bringing Libertor up for a couple games. You bring Woodford up for a couple games. Palente's been pitching a few games. Um, and then you maybe go with an opener. And Jordan Hicks trying to be stretched out as, as as a starter was an epic epic failure. And I mean failure. Um, so in my mind, if they're going to do anything, and I'm talking about the Cardinals, at the trade deadline, it's going to have to be pitching. And... You know we can't do what we did last year. Uh, we do, we just can't. Now I've got a piece coming out tomorrow on Gateway City Sports, and uh, or actually it'll probably be out by the same time this uh, podcast is available. <laughs> well, maybe I'll get the podcast available later tonight. But uh, and I do address this, and uh, uh, I did come up with six starters in my mind that I think the Cardinals should consider. Uh, trading for. Now, I, these are not cheap cheap uh, 
trades by the way by any stretch I mean uh, we're talking uh, it's going to talk it's going to take a prospect or two uh, uh, it's going to take a top 10 prospect or two for some of these guys it may take a couple of guys that are already on the roster uh, but I'm looking at John Gray from Texas uh, he's a 30 year old right hander uh, he's got a pretty decent ERA at 3.48 uh, he averages over a strikeout an inning he's get up uh, he only gets doesn't give up the long ball much uh, he only gives up 10 home runs so far this year in, in 114 innings, I think it is. Um, he's making about $14 million a year. And uh, his new deal, uh, with his new deal, and he's a free agent in 2026. So he's one that could fit into the rotation um, as far as what it would take to get him. And, uh, it's a good question. Uh, since he is under contract till 26, they would probably at least want uh, some kind of uh, long-term value. So you're talking maybe a Libertor, maybe a Zach Thompson, along with uh, Synthesis Texas. Uh, they could be looking for a uh, position player piece, uh, like an Alec Burleson, Brendan Donovan maybe be one they would look at, uh, maybe a Juan Yepes. Um now the other guy is uh, teammate is his teammate actually Martin Perez, uh, 31-year-old left-hander. Uh, he's seven and two with a 2.68 ERA, a 1.19 WHIP. Now he is a free agent after this year, so he would be a rental. Uh, but he's only making four million a year, four million, so the trade might be palatable because uh, you would have you wouldn't have to trade as big a piece maybe to get him. Uh, you could be talking just. Uh, uh, a secondary or a second-tier pitcher such as a Palente or uh, a Jake Walsh, uh, somebody like that. Uh, I also like Dylan che uh, Cease from the Chicago White Sox. He's a 20-year-old right-hander, 9-4 and four this year with a 2.03 ERA and a 1.19 whip. Now, he's currently ar arbitration eligible until 2020 in the free agent in 2026. Uh, he would command... Uh, a pretty good price though with what he's doing and with the uh, years of service he has or uh, years of control he has left uh, you're talking again um, possibly a Brendan Donovan and uh, a Libertor or a Zach Thompson uh, you might get away with uh, 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 Yepes because they are going to have a trouble because Jose Abreu is a free agent after this season, so they may need a first baseman. Yepes might fill that bill for them, so you might get away with a Yepes and uh, you know uh, a lesser starter, uh, but uh, you're going to have to give up some talent, and there's no two ways about that. Uh, I also like going after Zach Galen. Yes, the former Redbird, who we traded to Miami along with uh, Sandy Alcantara, uh, Alcantara and a couple others for Marcelo Zuno. Uh, he's 26. He's 5 and 2. The 3.31 ERA, a 1.02 WHIP for Arizona, uh, and he's really getting deep into games. I mean, he's pitching into the sixth and seventh inning consistently, and that would be just a godsend for our uh, our bullpen uh, to have somebody that goes in that deep into a ball game. Uh, he's also not a free agent until 2026. Um, so again, we're going to have to give up something for him. Uh, and again, we're looking at possibly a Zach Thompson or Andre Palente or somebody of that nature that's that's pitched at the major league level that has the uh, potential to be a good starter. Uh, they're going to want somebody like that, and they may want a position player. But uh, I don't know if they'd want anybody uh, like a they could want a Mason Win. They could ask for a Win. Um, 
uh, you know, somebody of that nature. But I, I think if we give them a top pitcher, then we can we can back off and give them, say, a Delvin Perez, uh, and then maybe a, a Burleson uh, would have to go into that mix as well. Uh, now I've kind of identified a couple of veterans on my piece. Uh, one is Madison Bumgardner. Gardner, excuse me, uh, 32-year-old left-hander, uh, not the bum Gardner of old, uh, unfortunately, uh, but he's still sporting a pretty decent ERA and WHIP, uh, 3.71 and 1.33, uh, respectively. Uh, his strike at the walk ratio is not what it used to be; it's only about 2.5. Uh, but he has two years left uh, on his $85 million five-year deal. Uh, so, and again, Arizona probably would want somebody like a win. Um, and with Bumgarner, they may they may be able to talk. We may be able to talk them down to a Jake Walsh or somebody like that. Um, or they could really push the envelope and say, no, we still want a Thompson, we still want a win, and we want Brendan uh, Donovan or Juan Yepes. Um, hard to say what Arizona would really want. Uh, another veteran is Noah Syndergaard. Uh, he's pitching for the Angels this year. He's 29 years old. And I thought he would have made a decent pickup in the off this past off season, but evidently the front office didn't agree with me, so they didn't pick him up. Now he did only sign a one-year deal, so he would be a rental as well. Um, but uh, with the Angels, he's their fourth best pitcher, uh, so he really wouldn't command a huge price. Um, but they might want something again, like a, a, a Yepes, uh, um, uh, maybe a Rondon. Possibly somebody like a Burleson. Uh, you just with the Angels, you're not real sure what they were going to want because uh, you know they've got a couple guys that are out, hopefully coming back. They're going to have come back from injury, uh, and they're looking at next year anyway. So what they would want for their number four starter um, is anybody's guess, really. Uh, but now make no mistake about it, the Cardinals are going to have to make a move. And they can't, again, like I said, they can't get away with doing a Wade LeBlanc, J.A. Happ, and John Lester like they did last year. Yes, those guys came in and they they, rock, they steadied the rocking ship and uh, until guys got healthy. Uh, but you can't depend on it because we don't have any guys that are going to get healthy. I, I, let's face it, folks. Matt's is out for the year. Flaherty, who knows? Hudson is inconsistent. You can't get away with waiting for somebody to come on. You're going to have to be aggressive, go out and get somebody. Um, and another note, uh, this also affects the outfield, could affect their, their idea on Soto, actually, is Harrison Bader's return. It's in question now, as the rest that the, he's been on has not helped his plantar fasciitis, and he's seeking a second opinion. Uh, it's possible surgery could be in his future, and if it's surgery, he's done for the season. Uh, and I do think we have the uh, outfield pieces that can cover a loss of Harrison Bader, uh, but that could affect, you know, how they view a Soto deal. Um, in another, in other news, uh, the Cardinals uh, in a two-game series with the Toronto Blue Jays and are without the services of Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. Austin Romine and Johan Aviedo. Now the first three are because they're not vaccinated. They're not COVID vaccinated. Uh, to enter Canada, you have to either have one dose of the Johnson and Johnson, 
or two doses of either Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. Um, they don't, and so they are not allowed into Canada to play. Uh, now, as far as Johan Oviedo, that's a passport situation that they were hoping they would get cleared up before he went. Uh, I do not know if that's the case. I think it is since he was not replaced. Uh, the Cardinals did call up three three players uh, to take the place of uh, Arenado, uh, Goldschmidt, and Romine, and those are I catcher Ivan Herrera, outfielder Connor Capel, and right uh, relief pitcher James Nail. So, uh, and if anybody thinks we don't need pitching, uh, we this is Tuesday, this is Tuesday, and they got beat ten to three. Uh, two pitchers gave up a total of seven runs, uh, and that would be um, Palante and uh, Jordan Hicks. So if you think we don't need started pitching, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn that's for sale. Okay? Uh, I'll tell you what, that's going to do it for me today. Uh, I will say don't forget to check out gatewaycitysports.com. Uh, like I said, i got an article coming out tomorrow on the Redbirds and the trade deadline. And we'll have other articles and podcasts, as you can find on Gateway City Sports. Don't forget to check out um, uh, my show's website, TalkingSports-OTV-GCS.OnPodium.com. Hit the show up on Twitter, at T-O-T-S-O-T-P-G-C-S. Let me try that one. At T-S-O-T-B-G-C-S. Or you can hit my personal account on Twitter, at Big D underscore GCS. So, goodbye for now, and we'll see you later on The Bleacher. Thanks again for joining us, and you have been listening to Talking Sports on The Bleachers. Here's hoping you have a great sports day.